Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My version, the English Standard Version, says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The him refers to Christ there. So many of you may be reading a version that says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, who strengthens me, that kind of thing. And and we're going to untwist that verse a little bit today to give it some context so we understand what it's really saying to us and how we are to, to live in light of the truth that's behind that verse there. This verse in particular kind of hits a sore spot for me personally. Philippians 4.13 kind of has a bad taste in my mouth in a way uh, from hearing it over and over and seeing it uh, misused time and again to sort of justify, frankly, to justify a self-centered life that's focused on worldly success. I mean, I can do, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In my high school, I don't know if this was the case for any of you all, but in my, my high school there's this group of uber cool kids, the, the, the super ultra cool kids who were the jocks and the cheerleaders and the rich kids. And they kind of all hung out together. And I hope that, honestly, none of them listened to my, uh, my, my sermon podcast online. But these were the, the super cool kids. And, and you all know who I'm talking about because, you know, m- most of us kind of detested those people because they were the cool kids. Um, and most of us made fun of... No, I'm just kidding. Um, here's the thing about this particular group of ultra-cool kids in my high school. A lot of them, and I would actually say most of them, uh, made a, a public sort of claim of following Christ. They wore the Jesus t-shirts. They wore the Jesus bracelets. They went to the Jesus concerts. Um, so they, on the face of it, culturally, they were sort of Christians. Uh, but, but I also saw them living in a way where I thought, that Jesus t-shirt just gives the lie to your claim. So I think what happened for this group of, of, of kids was that they all went to the same youth group and maybe they heard uh, their, their youth pastor preach one time on Philippians 4.13 because all of, a sudden, all of a sudden a group of these kids out of nowhere started claiming Philippians 4.13 as their life verse. They would write it on their book covers. Um, there was a time, kids, when we had to cover our books. Uh, they used it as a signature on the yearbook. Scott, Philippians 4.13. Uh, they quoted it at the opportune time. They, they used it as a mantra before the football games. I got kind of sick of hearing this verse because what they did is they were misusing it as a way for, for God to sanction their worldly success regardless of they, their behavior. It wasn't like they were using this verse to, to sort of strive for holiness or seek contentment or pursue God's mission in the world. This was kind of their verse as a catch-all panacea that excused their personal behavior. It was like they thought that God in that verse authorized all behavior at all times. So it's a kind of a sore spot for me. And for lots of people, I think this isn't just something we see in a context like that. It's all over the world. I mean, it's, it's all over as a cultural use of the Bible. People know Philippians 4.13. It's become a go-to verse for seeking God's approval for whatever you want. It's like a blank check from God. And in sports, holy cow, it's all over sports. It's like John 3.16 on the placard and then Philippians 4.13 underneath on the war paint for the, for the football players. Yes, Tim Tebow did that. It's on jerseys. It's on helmets. 
It's on signs. It's sort of a way to, like if you're, if you're running a race or you're in an athletic contest and it's right before it and you need that extra oomph, that motivation to really get at it, then you just, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You just repeat that a bunch of times. I can, I can do all things. I can run this race and I can win because God wants me to win. I'm not making this up. This is how it's twisted and misused. 1996, Evander Holyfield, he's a boxer. Evander Holyfield against Mike Tyson, the first one, not the second one. He had it embroidered on his robe, Philippians 4.13, on his, on his shorts. And I can imagine as he, as he approached that fight, he's walking to the arena. Maybe he's praying. Maybe he's saying, Lord, help me. Lord, Lord, give me power. Lord, give me strength. By the power of Jesus Christ, I'm going to beat the snot out of you. I don't think that's what God intends. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, it's misused all the time. Thousands of times a day. Students in schools all over the place are approaching a test and they're going, Lord, I know I, know I should have worked harder uh, I know I should have studied, but if like at this moment, if you could just, if you could just make me a genius, I, I promise I will, I will give you all the glory for an A on this test. <clears throat> I don't think, I don't think that our, our narrow worldly ideas and definitions of success in life are supposed to be all the things that God wants to empower. Perhaps He wants to take your worldly, your earthly, your personal kingdom kinds of goals and He wants to stomp them out so that He gets glory through you and you become like Christ. Sounds like Paul to me. And that's what we're going to see here in Philippians. So let's jump in together to kind of see what he's trying to communicate to us here. We're going to do this in a couple of ways. And what we're going to learn is that God wants something for us that is both better and harder than what we want for us. So let's look in Philippians 1 first. Remember we've said that context is king. Context is king. So context here tells us what Philippians 4 is saying. And we're going to, we're going to first sort of from Philippians 4.13, we're going to look at the whole scope of Philippians as a book first. And we're going to take Philippians 1.27-30 to 30 as our framework for what the whole book is saying. So we're going to start there first. And here's the book in a phrase before we get into the text here. The book in a phrase, in a nutshell, is that Paul wants them to, to partner with him, to partner with him as joyful sufferers, as joyful sufferers for gospel mission in a non-believing world. We're going to put this on the screen, which we already did. Thank you very much. So that you can write this down, take a note, make, make sure you're aware of this. As we get to the specifics of Philippians 4.13, this framework will help define for us what is being said there. So this is kind of what's going on in the whole book at large. It's the reason why Paul is writing them. He's saying, my partnership with you as, as a congregation as joyful sufferers together, is about gladly walking into the conflict of spiritual warfare because the battle of gospel mission is the purpose you exist. 
That's the big picture. This partnership idea is foundational for the book of Philippians. I'm going to park here for just a moment. To partner for the sake of the gospel is of keen importance for any and all who want to do what God's called them to do. Listen, you can't carry it out by yourself. That's why we're gathered. The body is fundamentally necessary for you to become who God called you to be. And partnership, mission, the reason we exist on the planet is to partner for the sake of the mission of God being made known in a non-believing world. So we have our friends here today, Stephen K. Carpenter. Uh, If you're new with us, you may not know that name. If you've been with us for 15 to 20 years, uh, you know that name. They were here with us four years ago. Stephen K. Carpenter are missionaries uh, that we support in Mexico City. And, and, and what we're doing with them is what Paul does with the Philippian church. He's partnering, and we are partnering with them to be joyful sufferers. Good, bad. Fun, not fun. We are partnering with them in all aspects of mission to be joyful sufferers for the sake of God being made known in a non-believing world. And so we, so we pray for them and with them. We send them money and support. And we share, as we listen to them, we share in the joys and the pains of ministry when they report to us about the work of God in the world and how God's using them. And, and, and what we do here is what happens elsewhere in the world for, for bodies of believers who gather for gospel mission who partner together. So that's what Paul is talking about here, is partnership. He's writing the Philippian church to urge them in this partnership to stay strong, to be focused. He's trying to encourage them to keep up the fight so that God's purposes will continue to be made known even as they face opposition in an unbelieving world. So read along here. Philippians 1, 27 to 8. We're going to start unpacking this. This is the summary for the whole book of this joyful partnership for gospel mission. Paul says, 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Is your life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Is the way you live your life something that that demonstrates what Christ did for us? I'm not making this up. It's in the text. Philippians 2, the model for who we are and how we do ministry is Jesus himself. He emptied himself for us. And so let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You want to see what that looks like. Look up Philippians 2 later. Then he says, so that whether I come and see you or am absent. In other words, whether I'm here with you or I'm not, we're still partnering for the same gospel. He says, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit that we are strong together by unity of purpose strength through partnership with one mind he says that's unity partnership striving side by side more partnership for the faith of the gospel it doesn't say striving side by side so that your 401k will be enough so that you can retire happy it doesn't say Strive so that your kids can get into Harvard. If, if, if those byproducts of you being about gospel mission are something that God gives you as a blessing in your life, praise Jesus. You sent your kid to Harvard. 
You sent your kid to Harvard so that God's glory could be made known. Not so that you can go, I got a strong 401k. I'm set. My kid went to Harvard. It doesn't say anything like that. Here or the entire Gospels or in all of Paul's writings. In fact, what we're going to see today is that Paul functionally, and he says this in other places, even in Philippians, he functionally says, put your personal, earthly, temporary, trivial goals on the trash heap. Because that will lead to misery this side of heaven and perhaps eternal destruction. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's a partnership worth having. In fact, partnership is only partnership if it's gospel partnership. If you have a marriage where one is a part of the gospel, if one has a mission for Jesus in life and one does not, then you know the tension of a relationship that is not a gospel partnership. And you know what you lack and what you miss and you grieve that. Because a partnership is a partnership if it's about gospel mission. Verse 28. Partnering side by side for the faith of the gospel. Not frightened in anything. This is significant later on because he's going to tell us I'm good to go in any circumstance. I'm not frightened by anything or by your opponents. Verse 28. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God. And he says this. It's a cool way of saying it. Verse 29. He says, for it has been granted to you. That word granted is is the verbal form of grace. It's been graced to you by God, this calling, this high calling of gospel mission, of partnering for gospel mission. It's been graced to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. I mean, there's salvation and trust and belief. That's a joy. That's great. Good. Rejoice in that. Fellowship around that. But... Also, so that you will suffer for his sake. Joy, hard things. Joy, pain. Both elements are a part of the gospel life on mission. Verse 29, it's been graced to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Why suffering? Because, verse 30, it says right there, because you're engaged in a battle. In the same conflict he's speaking to the Philippians. In the same conflict you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. Strength through partnership for the gospel no matter what. No matter the circumstances. Now now with that as our guiding framework, that this is about strength through partnership in the gospel no matter what, We look more specifically at verses 10 through 19 in Philippians 4. Jump on to the second section here and we'll study that together for a few minutes here. Philippians 4, 10 through 19. With that framework of strength and gospel partnership in mind, through joy and pain, through no matter what, with that framework we look at this specific section. He says, verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. There's some of the joy there. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. What he's talking about there is their financial support of him in his ministry. 
They had wanted, the Philippian church had wanted for a while to give him more support. He says, verse 10, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. The church had wanted to support him financially, but this wasn't the days of electronic bank transfers. So getting money to Paul was, was a difficult kind of thing. It wasn't an easy thing to do. And so what they had to do, they had to send somebody. In fact, we learn about Epaphroditus in our section here from verse 18. Epaphroditus risked his life to get the money from the Philippians to Paul. Listen, he risked his life to get money to Paul. The witness of Scripture and those who are on gospel mission is risk for the sake of Jesus Christ. This this is a radical message in a world we live in in America. Where we are so thoroughly risk-averse. In fact, we will put great, great effort into ensuring that I don't, I I really am not going to do that. Listen, I get it. I get it. Because to not be risk averse means you open yourself to going into places that are hard, to experiencing things that, that may hurt, that may be painful. They risked it just so that they could get money to Paul. That's how seriously they took the mission of the gospel. That's how seriously they took their partnership, their fellowship, their unity for the sake of mission and the gospel. So, so in light of that, in light of their great sacrifice and Epaphroditus taking that risk, Paul is writing to say, thank you for doing that with me. Thank you for your, your grace and your financial support. He says, that is awesome. I mean, that is just great. But let's look at this. Keep reading verse 11. He says, that's great, but listen, even if you didn't get it to me, I'm good. Because in joy and pain, I'm content. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And this is a guy who's writing this to the Philippians while he's in prison. So more context that helps us as we approach verse 13 to see what verse 13 is really saying. This is a guy who's in prison. He's saying, I, I am content no matter what. Verse 11, verse 12. He explains it further. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. And the secret is what is revealed in verse 13 as the strength from Christ to trust in him. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says he knows the secret. And the secret isn't God sanctifying our earthly goals. The secret isn't praying a foxhole prayer so that I can ace a test. You see, those goals are about you. And and, and God, mercifully and, and justifiably, frankly, God has no interest in sanctioning personal purposes that don't bring Him glory. 
that's not being mean. That's just telling you how great God is. How perfectly righteous, holy, and majestic He is that, that He justifiably deserves it all. And when we come along and we say, you know what, I, I like you. I, I, I like what you do for me. But I'm going to take some of this. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to build a personal kingdom here and now. What we've done is we've taken the glory of God and we've narrowly defined it for our purposes. And Paul says he knows the secret to be content no matter what because he's about God's purposes. And the secret is entrusting in Christ's strength to achieve God's purposes. The secret is trusting in God's strength to achieve those purposes. And when that is the purpose, when God's glory and his power and his mission and life transformation is the goal, then he will provide needs. Verse 13. So now we know what it means. I can do all things. I can do all things that God has for me that contribute to the glory of God being made known. And, and listen, don't think the glory of God being made known in me means I just, I'm not going to be happy. It's not going to be fun. <laughs> you don't know deep joy until God's used you for life transformation, for the cause of Christ being made known. You don't know deep and abiding joy until God has used you for the sake of His glory. So, so none of this like, uh, if, I, if I just worry about God's purposes, how, who's going to take care of me? <laughs> That's what he's saying. I will. I will. And you can do anything that I ask of you that's about achieving my purposes through Christ who will give you strength. So all things, it's a, it's a key phrase here, all things in verse 13 is limited in scope because of the, the meaning of the book at large partnership for gospel mission and the specific circumstances that help achieve that gospel mission. And and Paul says abundance, need, joy, pain, easy, hard, whatever those circumstances are, if it achieves God's mission, he's going to help me. He's saying I can be content in all things. I can do anything. I can endure anything. I can fight through anything. I can suffer through and be joyful through anything that contributes to God's purpose of extending His kingdom. And listen straight up. I don't, I don't think God primarily cares about your worldly success. I, I don't think God primarily cares about our notoriety this side of heaven. I don't think He primarily cares about things that may make you feel temporarily good here on earth that do not accord with, fit with, agree with God's mission. Primarily, God cares about making you like Christ so that He will be made known in you. Whether good, bad, plenty, poor, doesn't matter. (laughs) And listen, like I just said, if you want to know deep and abiding joy... Joy is found in becoming a man or a woman whose life extends God's kingdom. Not like other things, but just that. Joy consists in becoming a man or a woman whose life extends God's kingdom. So stop defining your life 
and your life's worth by personal goals. Paul says, count them as rubbish. Throw them on the trash heap. Because, because if your goals are not gospel goals, if they are not the goal of Christ being made known, of God's glory being made known, then they are a road to personal misery and perhaps even eternal destruction. So stop defining your life's worth by whether something contributes to your personal kingdom. Think about how much effort and time and emotional energy we give to these things that are about building our personal kingdoms. Which means, as you're doing that, you're sitting here going, defining my life, defining my life. This is how I count it. This is my worth. 90% of us watch our bank accounts like a hawk. But can hardly see where God's working in us or where He's calling us or what our next step of faith is. That's because we've defined things this way. If that's you, friend, fear for your soul. And stop defining the worth of your marriage and your family and your job and your 401k and your retirement and your possessions and your time. Stop defining the worth of those things and stop defining the worth of your church by whether it contributes to your trivial earthbound goals. Straight up. Paul tells it like it is. He says, if your life is not about gospel mission, if it's not about partnering for gospel mission, then you have done what people do to Philippians 4.13. You've twisted it to be about you. And friends, life about you is not actually life. It is in fact death. Life that is about you is not life. It is actually death. That was a lot about those first few verses. <clears throat> Let's keep moving on here. Verses 14 to 19. There's a bit of a shift here in the way Paul talks. Um, he shifts here to kind of talking about the church's role. The church's role in this partnership. He says this, verse 14. He says, It was kind of you to share my trouble. There's partnership. Even though I can be tent no matter what, you partnered with me. And you Philippians yourselves know, this is verse 15, that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. He says, not that I seek the gift. It's like he can't help himself. Not that I seek the gift. He can't help himself from speaking about how God makes him content no matter what. Look at that. Paul constantly says that. Does your life constantly say that? Does my life constantly say that? I'll tell you what, I, I am quick to complain. But Paul here, he's like, not that I seek the gift. I'm fine either way. It's like he can't help himself but talk about the contentment that comes by being strengthened in Christ. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, which were a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And this is a restatement of verse 13 here in verse 19. Verse 13 was about Paul. Verse 19 is about the Philippian church. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then he says this, 
And my God, they're parallel. My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He will supply every need of yours that contributes to who God is and what He's doing. And friends, what if God, what if what God is doing is something that is really about your personal holiness? What is what, what if what God is doing is actually about contentment in Him alone? What if what God wants, and frankly, He deserves, is for His mission to be carried out and His power to be displayed? Friends, Scripture is not given to us as a holy sanction for our lives. Plain and simple, the Word of God is given to us to communicate what God wants for us. And the longer I live, the more profoundly I realize that what God wants for us is both better and harder than what we want for us. And that's why it takes strength. That's why it takes partnership for the gospel. So that, so that, with that purpose in mind, in all things that we go through that are about that purpose, that contribute to making known the goodness and the glory of God, in all things that we experience that contribute to that, we can know that God will always provide, that we can trust, that we will know joy even though it will also mean hard things. And, and when, we, when we enter into that kind of ministry in our lives, God does things in us and in the people around us that are testimony, that are living testimonies to the truth that God is alive and well. And when, and when that happens in you and in the people around you, nothing else, nothing else needs to be worried about. Let's pray, friends.